It's truly an honor for me to have this opportunity to bring some thoughts from God's Word to you this morning. But I cannot tell you what a blessing it is to me to see God at work in this church. I am just so pleased to see how God is blessing the ministry of Bo and Jody and the others who work with him. And perhaps as you are a part of it, you can't really see what some of us who are on the outside see. But truly, it is a wonderful thing to behold God at work. And I pray that you will commit yourself to making this God's church, that he will continue to bless it and exceed all of your expectations for his glory. There has never been a greater time, I believe, when there needs to be strong churches representing the Lord. So commit yourselves to work for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you will guide our thoughts, open our minds, allow your spirit to speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Nearly half a century ago, I was anxiously awaiting the moment I would become a parent. I had read most of the books on the development of children, their stages and characteristics, from birth through infancy, then early childhood, middle childhood, later childhood, early adolescence, later adolescence, the stages of life. I'd read everything that Spock and Freud and Giselle and Dodson had said about children and how to raise them. I even had a license as a child counselor took six years of education, 40,000 hours of supervised counseling, exams, tests, boards, everything. But I had it. Certainly, I had everything that I thought was necessary to be a parent, except one thing. No one ever warned me, really, that little kids hardly able to walk always falling down, hardly able to talk, babbling, uttering little guttural sounds, not able to express themselves clearly, would have one word that would baffle me, that would tire me, that would exasperate me. No one ever told me that a child was going to ask a parent why. As I thought back about that, and I realized that my wisdom, my knowledge, my understanding, my insight, all that I knew went out the moment, the time when John or Michael or anyone ever asked me why. I wrote down some of those little questions. Stop pulling the dog's hair. Why? Stop spitting on your food. Let me wipe your nose. Why? Sit on the potty till you do something. Why? Eat your spinach. Why? Let me wash your face. Why? Keep your bowl on the tray. Why? Stay in your crib. Why? Stop crying. Why? Go to sleep. Why? Smile. We want to take your picture. Why? 
there was no end to what that word did to me. It was anxiety-producing. It troubled me. It threatened me. It made me angry. It, it tested me to the limits of my patience. And I asked myself, what purpose does a child to have to ask me why? It's not fair. And as I began to think about that, I said, no, a child has every right to ask a parent why. You see, most of us live our lives and never ask ourselves the question, why? Why am I doing this or that? Why am I engaging in this behavior? Why is life treating me this way? Why is it that God created me and gave me life and called me to serve him? There really is no greater question than any of us can ask ourselves than the question why. If you recall Acts 9.20, Saul was traveling to Damascus. Suddenly he was blinded and struck to the ground. And a strange voice asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he replied, who are you, Lord? And the response came and it said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city. You'll know that he was not given an opportunity to answer the question. He was not asked to give a reason for what he was doing. Only God, in speaking to him, turned him around and gave him a new direction. And we find that great things happened. A few days later, God spoke to Ananias and said to Ananias, go into the city and you will see Paul there. And I want you to go into his presence. And when you go into his presence, certain things are going to happen. And Ananias said, but God, I'm really afraid of that guy. You know, he has persecuted the church. You know, he has done many things to harm people who followed you. I don't want to do that. But nevertheless, I will go. And what happened? When he walked into Paul's presence, scales fell from his eyes, and Paul was able to see. And from that moment on, Paul began to serve Jesus in a great and mighty way. His life changed. His attitudes changed. He was not reinvented or reinvented. He was completely reborn again. And when that happened in his life, everything changed from that moment on. God took control of Saul's life, turned it inside out and upside down, and gave him purpose and meaning and direction and intentionality in his life. But isn't that what God really wants to do with all of us? to take us, turn us inside out and upside down, and give us meaning and 
purpose and direction and intentionality? Certainly it is. But if we ask ourselves, what is it that made Paul different? We find that in one verse in Philippians. Paul said to me, living means living for Christ. What a profound statement. What an emptying of himself. He had no other desire in his life from that moment on except to live for Jesus Christ. And what happened at that moment in his life is that there was a new beginning with a new message that had new priorities and new possibilities and new potential. But Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. And what did that mean? Well, it meant something very significant. You see, after Paul's eyes were opened, he began to preach the gospel. And what is so significant is that Paul was able to take all of his education, all of his training, everything that he had been taught from his earliest days that related to the Old Testament and integrate it into the message of the Messiah. Isn't that remarkable? And you see, God can do that for every one of us. He can take what we have and turn it into something that will honor and glorify him. He was so effective at what he was doing that the people marveled. They wondered what had happened to this man. Even the Pharisees and the scribes and the leaders in the temple said, my goodness, listen to his logic. Listen to his argument. So again, let me say, it is amazing what God can do when we with Paul say, for to me, living means Christ. That's everything I want in life. But what does it mean to say living for Christ means everything? I simply cannot do that unless I know Christ. And this is what Paul said. If you read in the verse this morning, that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection, that I may enter into his suffering so that I may be resurrected from the death that he suffered. You see, there is no way we can really live for Christ unless we know Christ. We may know about him. We may think about him. We may wonder about him. But that doesn't mean we know him. You see, when we get to know Jesus Christ, we will be transformed from the inside out. So Paul said, I want to know Christ. Several years ago, when Mary and I moved to Metter, I decided that it was time to review and remove a lot of stuff I had collected in five file boxes. Those five boxes contained my life. In it was my resume, articles I had written, journals I had edited, classes I had taught, 
everything that there was to know about me was in those boxes. You could find my medical records, my service records. You could find just about everything there was to know about me. It was amazing. I remember the day that I discovered my resume, 17 pages. I was embarrassed, actually. As I read through all that I thought I had accomplished, I said to myself, who really cares about all of this? And yet, you could read those pages, you could see the articles I'd written, the places where I'd given lectures, the colleges and universities I had taught, but it was all about me. It really wasn't me. And you see, we can know so much about each other, but we can really not ever get to know each other. There is the external me, and there's the internal me. There's that part of me and that part of you where we talk about what we have done, what we have accomplished, how we have served others, what we have done in service for the Lord. And yet there is that internal part, the part that we cover up, the part that we hide from others, those little petty lies, those sins, the anger, the jealousy, the rage, the resentment. It's all about who we are. Years ago, I read a book by John Powell. The name of the book was, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? Provocative title, isn't it? And if you read through the pages, there is a theme that came out again and again. If you know me, you may not like me. Isn't that true? If someone really knew who Larry Guido was, the things he had hidden deep in his heart, they may want to avoid me. Not so, Jesus. You see, Jesus lived a life of purity, of intentionality, of purpose, of meaning, and he lived his life above and beyond reproach. And Paul, when he said, I want to know Christ, he wanted to know who Jesus really was. I imagine he had heard stories about Jesus. He may have even seen Jesus. No doubt he wanted to talk to the disciples and say to them, please tell me about the master. You had such a wonderful opportunity to get to know him. I didn't. Talk to me about who he was deep and inside. You see, Paul knew as he knew Christ, he would be more effective in his service for the Lord. So it was just a wonderful quest that Paul started on in his life. And it's something that you and I can do as well. You know, if we want to know Jesus, he will reveal himself to us. If we spend time in his word, time in prayer, time in meditation, time in talking to others about what God has done in their lives, we can get to know his son. And then Paul said, I want to know the power of the resurrection. What an amazing feat. You know, when you think of the resurrection, we think of the power 
And some say, well, that's the power that we see in dynamite. No, it's not that power at all. It's the power that God demonstrated in creation. You see, God took nothing and made it something. And God in Jesus took death and turned it into life. And Paul said, I want to know that power. I want to know the power that you demonstrated in your son. Yesterday, I drove past two cemeteries two times. And each time I drove past them, I looked at them. I saw the headstones. I saw the markers. And I said, you know, everyone in those graves was as dead as Jesus was. Quite a thought. But Jesus was not conquered by the grave. The power of God raised him from the dead. And that same power is the power that Paul wanted to know. You see, it is that power that transforms you and me from living a life of trespass and sin and turns it into a thing of glory. How we limit ourselves by how we limit our understanding of and our commitment to knowing the power of the resurrection. And what is so simply amazing is that it's no secret. It's there, and it's available. And then there's one final statement in this verse that seems so strange on the surface. Paul said that I may suffer with him and share in his death. What might Paul have meant? Well, let me offer you something to think about. Perhaps Paul was saying in this passage of Scripture, if I live my life, and if I suffer and die, and if I am beaten and stoned, and rejected and abandoned and left to die and ridiculed and laughed at and turned back upon and spend my life in chains and if I am put to death, is it going to be worth it all? Now that's a, that's a serious question and it's a worthwhile question. And Paul was saying in his moment of meditation, I want to share in all of his sufferings so that one day I may be resurrected as he was resurrected and then my suffering will be worth it all. Suffering for the sake of suffering is worthless. Suffering for the sake of suffering is useless. But suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, that's everything, isn't it? And so Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his suffering and in his death that I may be resurrected to a new life. Isn't that worth it all? You see, and it all begins with asking the question, 
why? Why, God, am I here? And why are you giving me life day after day? And the answer is very, very simple. You are here because I am here. And I need you to be my servant to do my work and to do my will in my word. So you see, Paul began by saying, for to me, living means living for Christ. But he couldn't do it until he really got to know Jesus. And so my question to you this morning is this. How bad do you really want to know Jesus? Do you want to know him so that he can make a difference in your life? Do you want to know him well enough that you understand that when you're suffering, you're suffering like he did, and it is not an end, but it is a means to understanding the power of the resurrection? Do you want to know what it is he has in store for you? He's willing to tell you. But to tell you, you must get to know him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you will speak to our hearts, that you will open our eyes, that you will challenge us to become who you would have us to become. Help us, Father, to know that in you all things are possible and that through you we can understand your power and that because of you we can have purpose and meaning in life. We ask, Lord, that you will speak to us this morning, that you will challenge us to live lives of greatness, to live lives that are intentional, to live lives that are purposeful, to live lives that are powerful. Help us to ask why, and then what would you have me to do? In Jesus' name, amen.